Amy, on this podcast, we try to always offer useful takeaways. And if you learn nothing else from us, learn this useful parenting lesson by Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 are the ultimate parent hack, the best diaper to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. Instead of ordinary diaper tabs, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your wild child. Pampers Cruisers 360 makes it so easy to change your baby. Who probably doesn't stop moving just because they need a diaper changed? Just slide on to apply and away they go. And fear not, parents. Pampers Cruisers 360 offers an up to 100% leak-free fit, and they just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we say more? For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Amy, and this week we're doing a deep dive. We had a recent episode called When Typical Parenting Advice Just Doesn't Fit, I'll link it in the show notes, that got such a huge user reaction, thanking us for the episode, feeling seen by that episode, that we thought we would go back into the vault and do a specific deep dive into that topic. When else in our seven years of episodes have we talked about that particular topic? So this week we're revisiting an episode called Meeting Our Kids Where They Are. I loved listening to this again because I was reminded of a meme that I had seen once that kids are like popcorn. They're all going to pop. Some pop early, some pop late, maybe some don't pop at all. And it was a joke, of course, but it was something that really spoke to me because so much of our parenting, we're explicitly instructed to watch our kids to make sure they're doing this by a certain age, that by a certain age, sitting on the circle by a certain age, speaking in two word sentences by a certain age. And when they don't, we're not sure how much we're supposed to worry about it, how much we're supposed to push them, how much we're supposed to let them be the kid who cries and doesn't want to participate in the school concert, all of those things. And let me tell you, as a parent of much older kids now, it doesn't go away. You know, these things continue to happen. You continue to sort of walk the line of how do you help your kid evolve? How do you push them so they grow? And how do you lead with deep acceptance for who they really are, not for who you thought they'd be, not for who their friends are or aren't. It continues to be something that you struggle with as a parent and not necessarily even struggle with, just something that comes up over and over again as a parent and challenges you in terms of being the best parent you can be. So I really liked returning to this episode because it reminded me of some things that I need to do, even with my kids who are much older than toddlers and preschoolers at this point, that we have to accept our kids exactly where they are and then pitch our expectations for them just a little bit above those abilities to continue to encourage them. I'm going to put a link in the show notes for all of the research that we quote in this episode and also a link to a Spotify playlist that contains all the episodes that are going to be in this series. For the next three Thursdays, we're going to release another episode in this series and you can always find the whole playlist at that link on Spotify. Maybe share it with one of your friends. And now, meeting our kids where they are. Can you just stand here? We're talking to your teacher. Can you do this? What fresh hell? Laughing in the face of motherhood. Tough day today. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. Will you stop it? You're being such a baby. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas 
so you don't have to. This is the problem kid who's always got a problem. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And this week, we're talking about meeting our kids where they are. I like this topic, meeting our kids where they are. I've been thinking a ton about, and I've been talking about it a lot lately on the podcast, just about the gnawing anxiety that I feel like all the moms that I know, including myself, have, which is like, Oh my gosh, it seems like every other kid is like concert pianist and speaking Mandarin and my kids watch a lot of screens and like hit each other with Nerf bullets and like, am I doing a terrible job compared to everyone else? And I have a feeling that this issue kind of lays at the crux of that anxiety. Well, I mean, it starts when you're at the 12 month appointment and they say, how many words does your kid have or the 18 month appointment? Are they putting two words together yet? Or what always used to be the thing that brought like shame on me is when strangers would say, oh, what a cute baby. Is she sleeping for you? And like my babies were terrible sleepers. They were not. My babies at one year old were still yelling for me like mommy, like, you know, speaking my name clearly to come get them two and three times a night. And I just felt so frustrated and also sometimes ashamed that my kids were not doing what the world thought they were supposed to be doing. Right. I mean, another term for this is parenting the kids you have, right? Like, yeah, that from an early age and listen, developmental milestones are important. Right. Hitting developmental milestones, a kid who is not hitting their developmental milestones, it usually or can indicate a developmental issue. And a lot of developmental issues are best addressed as soon as possible. And so I think being dismissive of developmental milestones is not what we're trying to do, because I've had kids who did not hit certain developmental milestones. And my initial reaction was like, this is the insanity of the modern age and blah, blah, blah. And who cares if they're not just like every other kid? And in fact, like those kids really needed some interventions and those interventions were really helpful. And so I'm not team ignore developmental milestones. They're important. On the other hand, like there's I read this meme recently somewhere that it was like, you know, Kids are like popcorn, like they're all going to pop like kernels in a pan. They pop some pop early, some pop late. Right. You're watching like and some don't pop at all. And I guess that's like what we're saying, like don't ignore when it's not happening. But you can worry. My sister has four kids and her two and a half year old who I just saw yesterday is like a major, major, major talker. But he started talking later than his brothers. And because she was a mom of four you know, had that perspective of like, there's a range here. He's going to be fine. And of course he was fine, but it can be, I don't know, like all the metrics that are around our parenting and all the ways that we can measure our kids' visual spatial skills at four years old or whatever are good. And then also they're bad. They're both. (laughs) Right. We just have too much information, which we've talked about before, but like my father notoriously did not walk until he was like 18 months old. And I guess his mom started carrying him everywhere because she was so embarrassed that he didn't know how to walk and like ended up developing some back problems as a result (laughs) because like she was carrying around a giant child everywhere. Tall fellow. Yeah. But yeah, my dad's six two. Now he was probably a big kid, but that turned out fine for other kids missing the developmental milestone of walking around one year old may indicate that like there's some issue and they're going to need to work with a physical therapist or whatever. 
there's a range of possibilities and developmental milestones. I think the point is that where your kid is may be a great place or a not so great place or something that you need to do something about or something you need to be zen about. But I want to talk about today is how do you meet your kid in that place without fear, without resentment, without shame and help them do what they need to do and help them grow without you know, carrying around your 18-month-old and then carrying around your four-year-old. Obviously, you can't do that, right? So how do you meet your kid where you are and help them develop without getting stuck in the stuff that doesn't matter? Yeah, you said meet your kid where you are, which is also true, right? Like, Uh it's bringing it together. You got to meet, be yourself, and meet your kid where they are. Getting stuck on how things should be or how the other kids are doing things, it just makes things harder for you as a parent, but also for your kid. I feel like this is my Achilles heel as a parent. I come from a pretty high achieving family and my brother and his wife have four kids who have all done extremely well on paper and in life. They're great kids, but like, you know, they all went to Ivy League schools and they're all like uh, now moving out into the world to very successful people in career senses. And like, we just know a lot of people who are in that kind of like, I don't know, it seems to me they're getting a grade A on everything. And I sometimes have that thing of like, wait, are my kids just like, uh, you know, not going to be able to function at that level? And it's not an interesting question, but it is something I have to constantly go back to one on. Like the only possible correct kind of kid to have is like a little Lord Fauntleroy who just completely goes straight to Yale and gets straight A's and then becomes like president of the United States. Right. It's not really a happy starting point. No, but I mean, it's not as easy as saying, so don't feel that way. Like it is. Right. It's not as easy. It's disheartening when it's like, oh, I thought I was going to have a athlete and he's terrible. (laughs) That dream has died at our house. Oh, that dream has died at my house, guys. You weren't really, I mean, you never had high expectations for sluggers coming out of your house or did you? Although I do have some very frightening news, guys. It's a slight tangent, but my middle guy has taken up gymnastics and he's freakishly good at it. And they moved him up to like the select boys team. And I have to have a conversation with them. And like this kid can only be as good at gymnastics as he can get by going once a week. Like I cannot be getting up at 5 a.m. on Saturdays and driving him to meets. Well, it's funny. That's the flip side of this, isn't it? Is meeting your kid where they are when you have this kid who's exceptional in some way. What was the episode? We just did an episode on this a month or two ago that was on this topic of like when you have an exceptional child, sometimes it requires meeting them where they are. There was an interesting article that we quoted in that about having a prodigy. Like you kind of don't have a choice when you have a four-year-old who's like reading German plays and composing on the piano. You have no choice but to meet that kid where she is. I'm going to ask everybody to take a minute out of their day and say a prayer that my child is not a gymnast prodigy because I am not up for that life, man. You're not going to meet that kid where he is. (laughs) I want him to be like good enough to do a backflip if he wants, but that's about it. Like, I do not want to go to the Olympics. Ross Green, this is a sort of overall quote I like to put on this topic, which is kids do well if they can. And so, Hmm. you know, so I have a forgetful kid, for example. I have a kid who needs scaffolding and structure around remembering things. And I want to say to people who might be listening who have like the four-year-old who just doesn't know where his shoes are, like doesn't know anything ever. Yes, you probably will still have a middle schooler and then maybe even a high schooler who is more forgetful than some of their peers. But it does 
improve, first of all, when you put scaffolding on it. But part of the improvement for me was stopping wishing that that were different. Stopping thinking that you should be able to remember things if your peers are doing it. And just like, I have a kid who has a hard time remembering things sometimes. Right. And somehow layering on good kids remember their homework or good kids are like skipping out the door happily to go to school every morning or good kids love to learn and are not frustrated. Like, not true. That has nothing to do with there's no moral factor there. But the needle you have to thread is like I had a kid who would never like put his name on his paper, you know, at an age when most of the kids were remembering to do that. And he does now. So here's the needle I think you have to thread is you can't write the name on the paper for them. You can't even remind them to write their name on their paper forever. And yet it's a skill they do need to learn. How do you meet them where they are? without shaming them or without making their lives more stressful and help them develop the skill. Because the goal isn't to snowplow a helicopter and make this kid remember everything for this kid. The goal is to help them develop skills. And it's not just about forgetfulness, but that's the topic that's occurring to me in this. And one of the parts of that is defining, like, is this an important skill or not? I had a kid in preschool who went to a preschool where every single day I would pick up my like three and a half year old And the director would be like, sigh, tough day today. Your child at square time. Everyone picks their square and sits on it for half an hour of quiet reading. And your child just was not sitting on their square the whole time. And so I was like, huh. Right. Do I care about that? Like, is it important? And I consulted some people, including my sister-in-law, who is my guru, And she was like, I don't know that I'm not concerned about a kid who can't sit on a square at three and a half. I would be very concerned about a kid who can't sit still at five. So like know where you are in your developmental timeline. And like spoiler alert, the fact that this kid could not sit on a square at three and a half has proved to be a problem that persists. So like (laughs) this kid has problems with attention to this day. They're now quite a bit older and like They were right to point out that like this thing of not being able to sit on a square was a developmental problem that has bared out to some degree. But acting as if like we needed long faces and dark clouds over our head because, oh, my gosh, we weren't sitting on our square at three and a half was not the appropriate response. But if you do have a wiggly worm kind of kid, I had to have this explained to me. My kid was talking to a teacher at the school and, you know, really nice teacher, a teacher that my kid liked. And my kid was going up the step and down the step and up the step and down the step, like moving the entire time. And I finally was like, can you just stand here? We're talking to your teacher. Can you do this? My kid walked away and my teacher said, you know, to the extent that you can let your child just do that. Like, I know that that's not how you talk to somebody or listen to somebody, but there are some kids who need to be moving to listen. And if you force that kid to stay still, then they're keeping all their energy on staying still instead of listening to what you're saying. And I was so grateful for that. I was so grateful for this teacher meeting my kid where my kid was. And yeah, that's like the opposite example yeah. of my experience, which was like our whole day is going to be about whether or not you sit on the square, right? not whether or not you're learning or functioning in the environment. And I think that you've unlocked the key of like meeting them where they are is saying like, is the thing that's underneath the symptom something we need to address? Sometimes it is. But is it also just their operating system that needs to be kind of acknowledged and dealt with? Right. And here's another thing I'm going to throw into the works that kids performance is 
variable. Dr. Sarah Wayland, she is an expert that she works on a website called Guiding Exceptional Parents. Exceptional kids have to have exceptional parents. And she says, you know, performance is variable, that if you looked at a scatter chart of your kid's ability to sit on the carpet square, some days that kid can kind of do it. Some days that kid can definitely not do it. Like you're going to have a little bit more of scatter in that graph than you might realize. And she argues that sometimes it's the variability that makes us teachers, you know, the adults in these kids' lives frustrated because sometimes they can do it and then other times they can't. And that's a really interesting point. And for people who've worked with like IEPs or 504s or any of those kind of things, like the way you chart a kid's progress is on a graph. And that's exactly right. You'll see it go up and down and up and down every day. But what you're basically looking for is a graph that is moving upwards in a curve overall. But if you judge it day to day, you don't get a sense of the picture. That's why you need a full year of like, okay, which direction is this moving? Are they moving towards being able to sit on the square? Yeah. A little bit better over time. Yes, you're going in the right direction. Yeah. And so it's understandable that that's frustrating as a parent of like, sometimes you can sit there and do your homework in 20 minutes. And sometimes there's wailing and gnashing of teeth and crying and I won't do it. And it takes two hours. And I mean, it's good that it's not taking two hours every night, but that it ever takes 20 minutes and sometimes works. I think that's when we're really like, just do it like you can. Why are you or the baby that sleeps through the night tantalizingly for a week and then all of a sudden doesn't again? Like what happened? But I'm going to make my father in law really happy by using a golf metaphor, Amy. Okay. I don't really have a lot of golf metaphors up my sleeve. This might be the only one you ever hear on the podcast, so please try to enjoy it if you're a golf fan. But this is like, I wrote a piece about this a long time ago, about raising kids being a parallel to this thing of like, the golfer goes out and is trying to like work on their swing, and they know what they're supposed to do, and they're supposed to line up like their back and swing. I don't know anything about golf, but you get it. And then they hit the shot, and it's like, I've got it. I've unlocked it. I've figured it out. And then the next two shots are a mess. Like, You're constantly trying to get your swing correct, but there is no door that you go through that's like, I've got it now. It's just always like you find it, you lose it. You find it, you lose it. And then eventually, probably you're getting better through practice over time. But I wrote a whole piece a while ago about this thing of like, it's a golf shot, the whole thing. You're always trying to be like, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. And your kid knows what they're supposed to be doing, but they're only getting it right like once every five times. You're not actually unlocking a box full of mystery. And sometimes you remember to keep your hips still, but then you forget the part about, you know, moving your elbow and then the whole thing's off again in a different way. You fix one thing and something else is wrong. Exactly. All right, Amy, we're going to talk more about this right after this break. Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew And believe it or not, this will be my 13th nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur status. You're a (laughs) pro-aunt at this point. Our family has seen a lot of babies. And as soon as they start standing or walking, I send them all a whole lot of Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 don't have ordinary diaper tabs. Instead, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your newly mobile little one. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof, crucial once your baby is quite literally up and at them. And that gap-free fit helps prevent your baby from taking off their diaper, a habit you do not want them to get into. 
been to. You can say that again. And Pampers Cruisers 360 just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we even elaborate on the need for that, friends? For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, when you've got kids, as just about everybody listening to this right now does, you're probably looking at what they eat and seriously wondering how they could possibly be getting all of the vitamins and minerals they need to grow big and strong. That's why Haya was created, the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin for kids. Haya fills the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full-body nourishment our kids need. And yes, even your picky eaters will approve. I know mine does. Formulated with the help of nutritional experts, Haya is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables. Then it's supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals to help support our kids' growing brains and bodies. And Haya vitamins are sent straight to your door, which means you set it and forget it and give yourself one less thing to worry about. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com slash fresh. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H, HayaHealth.com slash fresh to get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Okay, should we talk about some things that we shouldn't do when we have a kid who is stuck somewhere that we maybe wish they weren't? Yes, we should. They aren't popping. They're in the pan and the other kernels are popping and they're not popping. I'm going to push back a little bit against the popcorn okay. metaphor only in that I feel like popcorn is a problematic metaphor because the kernels all turn out the same. They pop and they turn into one other thing. You know what I mean? Whereas I think that this is a little bit more like kids have different strengths and weaknesses and some kids have pretty profound challenges. Some kids kind of move easy through life. I have kids in my own family who are in those categories. It's not like pop and you're in, you're this other thing and it's done. Yeah. 
it's kind of what you were just saying before that it isn't like, oh, right. I just have to do this when I swing my golf club and it'll never be a problem again. The popcorn kernel makes me think that there is like an arrival point and I push back against that. I think this is so much the thing of like judging a fish by its ability to climb a tree. Like, what do you have? Like my fish may be a really good swimmer, but if I'm constantly like, is my fish good at poker? I'm going to be leave a really unhappy life. And so is my fish. But say you have a kid who meeting your kid where they are, like they are not toilet trained and some of the other kids in their, you know, little play group are and your one's the last one holding on to the pull ups. Like that is more of a popcorn situation where they're going to get to the thing. They're just not they're behind schedule. In certain things. All right. I'll give it to you on a point by point basis. Yes. All right. So let's say you're doing you have a kid that's in that situation, not something that's like, okay, this is how it's going to be, you know, but they're not ready to go to the sleepover yet when all the other kids are. And like, what's the story? Like, you're old enough now that you should be able to do this. And they just can't. In those situations, what doesn't work is obviously shaming them. Yeah. But talk more about that, because I feel like that's hard not to do. You need to be a big boy. You need to stop. You know, you need to stop crying when I'm every morning at nursery or school because you're a big boy now. And you need to stop that. Don't you see all the other kids are looking at you? Don't you think that is not an effective way to help the kid move past not separating from you well at preschool drop off every morning? Is it never effective, though? I'm asking very honestly, like sometimes with one of my kids who I think gets overly emotional about stuff and kind of indulges in it in a way that I find self-indulgent, I will say, like, you got to cut this out. How old is that kid? Like, I think it's that's probably 11. True. Yeah. OK. So I think you're right that once they're 11 and they're able to sort of understand that stuff kind of comes on at that age that they start to be aware of what people think of them is becomes a factor in their lives, that there's not black and white, that people have different opinions than them. Right. And what people think of you, hey, it doesn't matter. But at a certain point, like if you're carrying on and having tantrums at school, you're too old for that. You have to cut it out. Yeah. I think you're right in that case. But I see what you're saying. I think in general, attacking stuff as like, I think shaming in general is usually a pretty bad tactic. I will agree with you on the larger point. Even when your parenting with an audience shame might be in, you know, full bloom, they'll like, well, you stop it. You're you're being such a baby, like that kind of thing. It's, It's understandable. It's just not effective. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I mean, I do think that like, Peer pressure can play some role in shaping behavior, but I would agree in general that shaming is not a good idea. Another thing that is probably not useful is the like, stop it, you're fine. The sort of denying the reality the kid has. I mean, I've said all these things this week, but again, I'm in a rather particular (laughs) situation with I think my kids are tired and all my kids. It's like I feel like sometimes the emotionality card, I just want to shut it down. And like maybe I'm just like an oldie timey Irish parent who's like sending them all the therapy. But I'm like, I'm not interested in crying about this. I'm not interested. I don't think that that's wrong. I think it's a little different when you suspect that they're carrying on. If you know they're faking it, maybe. Yeah. Right. That it's crocodile tears. It's theatrical. Yeah. It's like a soccer flop. Yeah. If you actually have a kid, like I'm thinking about it a couple years ago on Halloween, we went trick-or-treating with my daughter and some of her friends and... There was a haunted house, like in a garage. It was like somebody's garage was a haunted house. And the teenagers were like, boo, come into our haunted house. Oh, as a child, that was my Achilles heel. I could not handle 
Teenagers saying boo when I was like eight years old, that was the worst thing in the world for me. Yeah. This was, so you, so you were this kid. So my daughter was like, let's go. And like the other kids are there with, let's go. And this one kid, I mean, I saw her. She was about to like void herself. She was so scared. That was me as a kid. Like frozen in place. And first her friends and then her parents were like, oh, stop. It's nothing. Get in there. Like, what's wrong with you? And this kid's like panic was so palpable to me. This was me. Telling that kid, stop it. You're fine. It's not a big deal. Go ahead. In that moment was not the right answer. And so then, of course, like, do you need me to show you how not fine I am? Because I will. I got other gears. Right. I will get out of this. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's what happened. And it escalated and escalated. I got other gears. There's a famous story in our family that I was forced to go into a haunted house because it wasn't that scary. It was so scary. I still remember it. It's like burned in my psyche. I was probably eight or nine years old. And then there was a vampire like coming out of a room with lightning and I was screaming and my eyes were rolling back in my head. And then the vampire was like crouching down and taking his teeth out. And it was our neighbor. And he was like, Meg, it's just me. It's Mr. Jones. Don't worry. It's okay." And he was like trying to give me a hug. And I was like losing my mind. They had to like carry me out on a stretcher. And how do you feel? You're still not okay, it sounds like. I'm still not okay. I'm still not over it. They shamed me and it didn't work. So take Amy's advice. I did learn this when I had a kid who was chronically ill with something that wasn't always like visible, really didn't feel well a lot of the time. And I was, of course, sometimes pushing back on that, like, oh, you're fine. Oh, stop it. You know, let's go. We're going to do this. You can do this. But the lesson that I learned is if you make a kid show you how sick they are, right, to get out of the thing that they really don't want to do because they don't feel well. You want them to perform being sick? Like I said, they got other gears. They'll do it. They'll escalate until you hear them. And so telling them that what they feel isn't real and that their stomachache isn't happening is not useful. Yeah. And I think everything we talk about on the podcast is a circle to some degree, right? Like it all goes all the way around. So pushing back on indulgent kid stuff is okay up until the point of the circle where you're catching a kid who's really trying to express an anxiety to you and you're dismissing it. And so it's a little complicated. Like there are no hard and fast rules because who knows where exactly where you are in this circle. But in general, being dismissive of the symptom is probably not a great idea. It's probably better to get at what's behind it. Mm-hmm. I'm down with that. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's start talking about what you can do if you have a kid who, whatever the situation is, needs to be doing something that they're not doing or just can't do or can't do yet. How do you meet them where they are? It doesn't mean you don't have demands. Like, that's the most important thing. Like, the flip side of believe your kid who always has a stomach ache when she says she has a stomach ache and can't do something, it doesn't mean... Now we can never go anywhere in case you have a stomach ache. Like that's the swamp you do not want to get sucked into. Amy, I'm going to give you a good example go of this. Okay. In the Boy Scouts, you know, I talk a lot about the Scouts. I'm a Scout fan. I mean, listen, they've got their problems, but I like them. And you earn merit badges and you can eventually go to Eagle Scout. But kids of all abilities can become Eagle Scouts. But they use a metric of like working to the best of your ability to achieve this goal. And I think this is not only important for you, it is really important for your kid because kids who struggle in certain areas, like, for example, maybe my kids who are not great at sports, like having them know, like, 
saying to them, you're bad at sports. We won't participate in anything. That's not part of our lives because we're not a sporting family is not that constructive saying like, this is where you start. So your role on this team may be to be supportive and cheer a lot and go in less often than other people. Like defining what success looks like from their starting point is like such a crucial life skill. Uh, uh-huh. And I really like in the Boy Scouts that they it tends to be a troop activity like everybody deciding like what does it look like for each of us to complete this task to the best of our ability. Like, hey, for the super sporty kid, you might have to do more in the sporting merit badge because you're really good at sports. So you need to challenge yourself. But for the kid who's afraid of heights, like the climbing merit badge might look different. You know, I think this is such an important skill for us as parents, but equally important for the kids to be able to say, like, what are the best of my abilities and when am I working towards them? And like, I was a fairly poor student and we've talked a lot about defining yourself in opposition and both of my siblings were extremely good students. And I think I kind of decided like, I'm going to be the bad student because that's something different. And my parents were always saying to me as a kid, and I didn't really get it at the time. If we didn't think you could do it, we wouldn't ask you to, but we think you can. And so you're not doing well enough because We know you're better than this, basically. And it was very hard for me to understand growing up, but I think they were right to hold that line. I wasn't not doing well in school because I wasn't capable of doing well. I was not doing well in school because I didn't want to compete with my brother and sister. So your parents in that situation probably had to be like, do their own work with like, okay, are we really over-invested in certain grades? And do we have a kid who's just a different kind of learner and she has different strengths? And so we're going to stop worrying about... Is it an A or a B or a C and instead say like, hey, we know you're good and we want you to perform to the best of your ability. Yeah. And for sure, because it was the 70s and 80s, my parents were not having a ton of those conversations. They were just like, come on, get with the program. You know, (laughs) I don't think they were like, where is this a two or a 10 for me? But they didn't shame you. But were they like, why don't you get grades like your sister? Look at your brother, how nicely he sits at the table. Were they doing that or did they were they more like you? No, they weren't. They definitely weren't. They weren't shaming and comparing. They were sort of like, "Mm, we see more in you. We see more in you. And I think that's an important thing to say to your kids. Sometimes we see more in you. But you start from like it's like preschool teacher 101, like you kneel down and you get to the kids level and you look at the world from where your kid is you look out from there together and you accept to quote parent coach elaine taylor kraus she says you set your expectations for this kid in the context of accepting your kid for who he or she is not who you wanted him or her to be like you know you like the guy who loves football more than anything and he has his kid on the touch football team and the kid just cries and really doesn't want to be there right like that's In the scope of a lifetime, not crucial, but in that moment, that parent has to let go of the fantasy of the having the star quarterback and saying like, oh, I got a kid who's afraid. Yes, for sure. In our circle, you are missing out on life if you are like, we are the accounting form of J.R. Martin and all of our kids will be accountants. And then your kid has like a fabulous gift for, you know, design and wants to be a fashion designer and you just squash them into the accountant box. Like that's not going to go well. But on the flip side, if you have a kid who's like, eh, I'm just not going to try. And you're like, okay, well, I just accept you for who you are. That's the flip side of that circle. So you, you kind of got to constantly reassess, like, what are we doing here? Right. The key, I think, is to 
you know, get down to your kid's level, wherever that is, right? And then to set your expectation a little higher than that. Not like we get straight A's in this house, young lady, go to your room. But like, we think you can do better than this. And you said a mouthful there. You want to set your expectations higher than you think. You don't ever want to lower your expectations below what your kid is capable of. No, but you want to pitch your expectation a little bit higher. Like my son plays soccer and they have a league in New York City where they play some special games. They're called VIP games and they bring kids with pretty severe disabilities to this game. And they want kids who are typically abled, like my son, to come and play with these kids. All kinds of different disabilities. But the point is they want the kids who are typically abled to give them a good game, like let them feel successful, but pitch it so they're challenged and maybe they just get the ball past you, but give them a good game. And it's a really good skill for my teenage son to learn, right? How to meet people where they are and not just do nothing, but not like humiliate them either. Pitch your playing ability like 10% above where they are and figure out where that is and read people. And I think that's what we should be doing with these, with a kid who like is crying and too afraid to even walk out to warm up with the rest of the team. Okay, what do you do? You don't say you don't have to play, but your expectation has to start a little bit above where they are. And then as their trend line goes up, so do your expectations. Agree. All right, more after this. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Sure, some moms do it all, and we're all for that, but we are also here for those moms who maybe aren't acing their mom game every single day. And now, some shout-outs for all you just-okay moms out there. 
from the What Fresh Hell podcast. Hey, just getting by, Mom. You only forgot to pick up your kids from school one day this month. That's almost certainly better than some other mom out there somewhere. Listen, disorganized mom. The thing to remember is that you took your kid to the birthday party. The fact that you had no gift and were also there on the wrong day are problems, but you did try. So we say, go you. Heads up, lazy mom. We don't think you're bailing on cooking dinner. We think you are doing your part to keep the pizza delivery economy of this great nation humming. Thanks, friend. Yo, slacker mom. Sure, one of those fancy PTA moms ran a fundraiser that raised like 10 grand to fund a whole new tech department at her elementary school. But look at you. You've practically funded a new wing of the town library by racking up giant fines every month for that copy of the third Harry Potter book your kid can't seem to find. We salute you. Helicopter moms are the worst, right? That's not you, distracted mom. You spent your kid's entire soccer tournament scrolling through Instagram and Facebook and missed two goals and an assist by your kiddo. Way to help him develop an independent mindset. Oh, yeah, PJ mom. Those pajamas totally look like pants to us. Someone glared at your robe at school drop-off? Not us, baby. We think you're totally pulling off those slippers as hip, fuzzy clogs. Okay, we're back. I think we're right on here. You want to push expectations for any kid, for wherever they're starting. You want to make sure that you're asking them to work at the top of their personal curve. Right. And then that's going to grow. Like my forgetful kid remembers a lot of stuff now. Like it's amazing to me. I get surprised every week with like, oh, I used to have to remind this kid of this and I don't anymore. I mean, it does get better, but it requires constant sort of recalibration of what supports are needed and what supports can now be taken away because this kid can fly on their own. Well, and that, I mean, you've talked about it. This is the thing about labeling, right? And it's so easy to fall into this. Like, this is the problem kid who's always got a problem. And like, just staying out, you talk about it, it as like letting people say to your kid, like, oh, we know you won't eat anything, so we'll just serve you this. Like, you gotta hold the line on stuff. And I know I have one kid who hates traveling. He just cannot stand. Whenever anyone's like, hey, do you want this? How far away is it? Like, he cannot stand to be in the car. And it's tempting sometimes to be like, oh, let's not do this because travel guy will hate it, you know? And we just have to resist the urge and be like, he's going to have to suck it up. It's four hours in the car, but we want to do it and it's going to be really fun. Or it's four hours in the car and we're going to get to see his grandfather who lives that far away or family members who are traveling or whatever. But if I let him become not travel guy, it's just a bad habit. Well, and that will never go away, right? If you like, we don't go anywhere because we have a kid who doesn't like to travel. That kid is not going to become somebody who likes to travel by never being challenged to do it at all. Right. And he may well not be a kid who ever likes traveling. And, you know, his wife may have to deal with that someday of like, well, we don't want to go places. It's not my job to make him a kid who loves travel. No. But it is my job to set the expectation of like we go where it's important for our family to be. Set it a little bit higher than where he is and then just keep kind of there's a technique called backward chaining that I hadn't ever heard of that. 
Oh, yeah. I've read about this in, at, in terms of picky eating. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So backward shaming is if you want to teach a kid to do a skill. Say you have a kid who needs to learn how to tie their shoes. That can be frustrating for kids who have hand-eye issues. It could be very frustrating. The way to teach via backward chaining is to start with the end, to start with like, and then you put the loop through and you pull tight. Here, you're going to pull it tight. Oh, you did it. You pulled it tight. You start with the last step or you start with like putting the pillow on the bed after, you know, the step eight of making a bed is putting the pillow on the bed. Start with step eight. Okay. Then we're going to move back. Now you're going to pull up the blanket and put the pillow on. Now you've done step seven and eight. You move backward until the kid can successfully make a bed by herself instead of starting at the beginning, which can quickly lead to tears and overwhelm. Okay. So with picky eating, I've heard of it as chaining, not backward chaining, which is like, if they like rice, it's like, okay, tonight we're having rice and some beans on the side. And then like, once they try the beans then you're like, okay, now we're going to mix them together. Like you try to like keep building out a chain of like stuff that's already working for you. And I think one thing that this makes me think of is something that we've been doing, which I didn't even associate with this, but now I do, which is on Sunday nights, we, when we're having a family dinner, I have certain kids who need to work on stuff more than other kids. I have kids who kind of like go with the flow and kids who are taking the hard route through everything. And one of the things we were doing on Sunday nights is like, let's talk about what everybody's goal for this week is. And it helps. I include myself. And often my goal is yell less at my children, which I give voice to in front of my children, which I think they appreciate. One of my kids has been extremely cranky lately And just cranky with me, cranky with the siblings, cranky with everyone. So I really need him to start improving that because it's making our household fairly unpleasant that everyone's getting yelled at by one kid every day. But we make it, it's in our family goal conversation for the weekend. It's like, you really need to work on being nicer to everyone. I think it's hurting everyone's feelings that every time anyone asks you anything, whether it's to play or to clear your play or to wake up and go to school in the morning, you're screaming and yelling at everyone. Your goal this week is to be a little bit better about that. But then my kid who is not really having issues, I'm like, your goal is, and I pick something maybe slightly random that she's doing, which is like, let's say whining when she has to get her hair brushed. Your goal is to stop whining when you have to get your hair brushed. They don't really get that the goals are not equal, but it gives everybody the conversation of like, we're trying to improve ourselves this week and here's how. And you're giving your kid a meetable goal, presumably, like, I want you to be a little less cranky. I mean, measure it however you want, but you're not saying you need to stop doing this once and for all. It needs to get a little better. We did a version of this last night. I had heard this on like a podcast about productivity, which was to talk with your team about what are the top three things I want to get done this week for the brand, whatever, and what are the obstacles that I think I might face? And like, that's a really interesting question. So I sat down with my big kids last night and asked that and, again, learned really interesting things like from my kids, some of which were actual obstacles, like I don't have enough hours in the day. My kid was like, what I have to get done is schoolwork, and my obstacle is being at school. I have too many hours at school to do all my work. But then one of my other kids, the obstacle was more like, and I'm worried, and I don't think I can do it. And so we had a good conversation about that. But I think it's like we're glossing over this. I feel like this is a step that we often skip, which is having conversations about this in very like digestible terms for our kids. Like, what's making it so hard? Why are you yelling at everybody all the time? Well, and it's hard to get underneath it. But I think 
having a conversation and having my other kids be able to say like, yeah, you just really are yelling. And we'll, I'll say like, well, you know, we're in the tween years and we're a little hormonal and this is kind of what happened. Like we're naming it and all talking about it. And it becomes less of a thing of like, there is this creeping dread in the household that like there's a bear in the house all the time. Well, it's like it's Stuart Schenker's iceberg, right? Like get curious about what's beneath the surface of the challenging behavior that is just a little bit of choppy ice that's above the surface. Underneath is this huge thing. And I think meeting your kid where you are, part of it is being like, yeah, I got this kid who's cranky all the time. There's something underneath the surface here, which doesn't mean that we all have to live in fear of tantrums. But you come at it understanding that there's something there. Well, what's underneath it for him, a lot of it is his age, you know, it's tween agedom and like hormones and social expectations at school getting more complicated. There's a lot that's underneath that that we understand. And so part of meeting him where he is, is to say, like, listen, you are a cranky bear monster. And we were laughing about it last night. I was like, this is called tweenagehood. And we were all laughing about how awful it is and how you like get stolen and get replaced with the tween monster. And we were talking about it and laughing about it. But we were also it's like, I'll meet you where you are. I don't expect you to get up with like a song in your heart every morning and skip down to the breakfast table and give me a kiss and be like, thank you for this delicious breakfast, beloved mother. Like, but I keep my expectations where you're not allowed to just be like an angry tiger that we all have to tiptoe around. Not OK. Yeah. And this is like this is a lifelong thing, right? Like some kids are Eeyore. Some kids have a little bit of a storm cloud over their head or they're Lucy from Charlie Brown or whatever. Or they're pig pen <laughs> or they're pig pens. Right. There's a reason why these archetypes like resonate with us. Or they're forgetful Jones, who was a cowboy on Sesame Street that uh, forgot everything all the time. <laughs> You have a bit of a forgetful Jones. I do have a forgetful Jones and it gets better slowly. Yes. We're still taking like the BuzzFeed quiz. That's like, which character from succession are you? You know, I mean, like we're all our own archetypes to a certain degree. And so, you know, you got to know that like if you're dealing with like a Roy from succession and you think you're dealing with a Shiv, like you got to adjust <laughs> your expectations a little bit. <laughs> and you have to let go of how people see you as a parent. It reminds me of the conversation we were having about like the screaming kid on an airplane, like solve the problem, focus on the screaming kid and get the screaming kid to stop screaming. But worrying about like what everybody must think and putting on a show of uh, here I am performing the role of very concerned parent on airplane instead of making sure the kid doesn't need his diaper changed or whatever. That's your cross purposes. Well, I was just having a conversation with somebody about kids and reading. I have a kid who struggles as a reader. And I was saying like, well, we did all these different things and like they really helped. Like we read a lot of novelizations of movies he'd already seen because I think he was having trouble like picturing things and we're going through all these different ways. And it's like what I didn't do was spend a lot of time being like, what are other kids his age reading and how can I get him reading those books? Mm. The only goal is like instill a love of reading in this kid. So if he's reading novelizations of every Marvel book I don't care that everyone on Facebook is bragging about how their kid is reading, you know, some very advanced book. Like the first part of the process of getting my kid to love reading is to stop comparing him to other readers his age. That's not an interesting part of the equation at all. You deserve a parenting medal because those novelizations of like Teenage <laughs> Mutant Ninja Turtles like, are there worse books in the world? I don't think so. But you met him where he was. 
on you. Yeah, I don't think they bother me as much as they bother <laughs> other people, too. I just find them like, I mean, and the other thing is like he's reading a lot on his own. It's not like I'm sitting there reading like Thor the Ragnarok, the novelization, but I just think the key is, and we talk about this all the time, you can talk about this stuff and be like, oh, it seems like a lot of work. It seems like a pain to do all of this. What we're trying to get to is stuff that makes your life easier as a parent. That's true. This is like this Dr. Sarah Whalen quote, which Amy found. If we never had expectations that were beyond our children's current abilities, we wouldn't teach them anything. Right. But, but, and this is the but, I'm at my absolute worst as a parent when my expectations are far beyond my kids' abilities. Right. When you have them at the family reunion and they were supposed to be in bed three hours ago and they didn't really eat and they're having a meltdown and you are focused on screaming at them to behave right now because everybody's looking at us, you know, that's an expectation and ability mismatch that will lead to problems. Right. Or if you're focused on the fact that, like, I overheard on Facebook that this person's kid is reading books at a seventh grade level in Spanish. Why isn't my kid doing that? I'm going to start pouring my energies into keeping up with someone I saw on Facebook. Like, you're not really parenting the kid you've got at that point. We were talking in the Better Then or Better Now episode about how keeping up with the Joneses used to literally mean like the family on this side of you and the family on that side of you. And now it's anyone who has ever thrown a Harry Potter birthday party on Pinterest. And I think that social media, that compare and despair thing. You know what? Just on Saturday, I was waiting to pick up my daughter from ballet and I was talking to two other moms that I'm friendly with about summer camps and are you going to send her to this summer camp or that summer camp? We live in New York City, so kids go to some kind of a camp usually to get them out for a little bit of the summer. And we had very different points of view on how their summer would best be spent. Is it like just on having fun? Is it they need to be learning something? Is it they need to become better dancers? Is it they need a lot of structure? They need no structure? And I was listening to them and sort of reconsidering the decision that I had already made for my own kid based on what she did last summer. Like, well, maybe they're right. Maybe I need to be doing it this way or that way. My daughter comes out of her class. We're in the taxi home. And I start saying, so this mom, her kid is doing this. And maybe we could sign you up for this. And she just was like, mom, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, we found something that works for you pretty well. Why am I suddenly second guessing it based on something I heard in the hallway at ballet? But I was. It's very easy to do. And also, like, you have to remember that you see pieces of every story and like, my kid who you see, you know, not sitting still and like running around at school one day and being, you know, bad, you might not see him at his gymnastics class where he's suddenly really good. He's the best kid. Like, yeah, they're part of the same kid. Like he's good at gymnastics because he can't sit still like they're the same story. And so I think that's the like judging the fish by climbing the tree like if you spend your whole life being like, oh, I didn't get the accountant that I want, you're going to miss the amazing fashion designer that you have. Like, you really have to keep challenging your kids. But at the same time, you have to meet them where they are or you're all going to just be kind of miserable. Mm -hmm. You solved it, Margaret. Oh, <laughs> uh, We solved this one, guys. Come on. Solved. <laughs> we want to know how this issue is affecting you. And you can tell us on our Facebook page. You can come to facebook.com forward slash what fresh hell cast and come join the conversation on Facebook. We also have a Facebook group where moms are talking to each other. They're meeting their kids where they are and they're supporting each other. So you should come join our community. Right. They're meeting other moms where they are. It's a really nice, like honest conversation going on there. 
Yes, but it's also just a warm pool of love and acceptance. And then sometimes silly memes. It's a little bit of everything. Yes, it's great. Come join the Facebook community, guys. We're also on Instagram at Wefresh Hellcast, and we're on Twitter at WFH Podcast. And as always, the links for everything will be at our webpage, whatfreshhellpodcast.com. Or you can swipe up, guys. Swipe up and find a lot of the information just by looking right there on your phone screen where you're listening to this. Yeah. I really liked this Dr. Sarah Wayland article for guiding exceptional parents. So, yeah. Tap on that. Check it out. So swipe and tap, guys, and read it all. Amy does so much work on this research for you guys. Please appreciate it. And with that, we will talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.